0: Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit xsola.pro/aoiaas. Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup, to bringing over 100 award winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game perhaps one you're developing. What's the im 8-Bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for im 8-Bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at im8bit.com. Hey everyone, I'm Trent Custers,
1: co-founder and studio director at League of Geeks, and this is The Game Maker's Notebook. Today I've been chatting with David Erosa, producer, and Enrique Garbesa, game director of Blasphemous 2. They're from the Game Kitchen, a studio based out in the south of Spain. Incredible, incredible story about them getting their start at the studio, making, making games for hire, service work for other studios, but how eventually that led to almost the studio collapsing and their last ditch chance at survival was a game called The Last Door, where they figured, hey, <laughs> if we're, if we're going to go out of business, let's at least get one of our own games out. And that gave them enough success in that niche of point-and-click horror games to then kick off the Kickstarter for Blasphemous, which then saved their studio. We talk about that art style and the inspiration for Blasphemous being coming directly from their culture, from the religion and the traditions in Spain, and how that actually not only gave them way to cut through the noise and the saturation of the market, but also to share their culture with the rest of the world and the, the impacts that that's had for people who they're representing all around the place. We also then speak about how Once they had that art style, that actually led the development of the rest of the game, that they didn't have a game design really. The game that they were making was determined by the art, almost a completely different way to the way most of us are making games. And then, even when Blasphemous was a success, they decided to throw out almost everything from Blasphemous 1, and start again, new project, new Unity scene from scratch on a whole new code base. And so we dive into why that decision was important for them, and that may seem incredibly wild to all of us developers listening. The game's had a resounding amount of success just recently released on Steam. These guys really threw their all into this interview, speaking from the heart. It's great to get the perspective of developers out in Spain who've had such success. I really hope you enjoy the episode.
2: David,
1: Enrique, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you for Hi, having Trent. us. Awesome,
1: having us. Good morning. I, I hear you've just both come off a, a holiday over there as well, so back back in the studio today, getting things done. Yeah,
3: that's correct. We the whole team took a couple of weeks off
1: after Amazing. the release of the game and the patch. Um, we just got back today. Incredible. All right. Well, we're definitely going to dive into that because I I love when we hear of teams doing that. In fact, there's another team that we're trying to interview for a podcast, but they've just taken a break after (laughs) releasing their game. So I'm absolutely supportive of it. It's such a great initiative. But we start this podcast uh, in the same place every time. And so I'd love to ask the two of you, and maybe we'll start with you, David. when was your first interaction with video games that you remember being meaningful to you? Like, and, you know, sort of got you thinking about getting into games or, you know, having a connection with them? Well, my, my
3: first, my really, really first interaction with a video game, I think it was six. Mm-hmm. Um, my father got a, a, an 8-bit computer at home mm-hmm. and hit it had this this puzzle game in which you only move with the cursor keys yep. the the different pieces of the puzzle to complete it and it made this
1: uh, cheerful sound when you completed it <laughs> I was amazed by it. it uh, got you as a six year old it got you the cheerful sound just got your brain. Yes
3: I, I didn't got to get any, any console when I was young. Mm-hmm. I was always uh, with 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 a few years, I, I was always getting console with a few years of mm-hmm. delay. Let's say yeah. so when everyone uh, had a, a Super Nintendo or a Mega Drive, I was mm-hmm. getting a, a Master System, and <laughs> that was indeed my my first and only console until I got a PS2 by myself when I was twenty two. I think it was
1: so. Yeah. You're able to get out on your own and get your own current console and join everyone else alongside it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I had a I had an NES and my parents refused to get me a Super Nintendo, so I had to I was a whole generation behind until the Nintendo yeah. sixty four came out as well. Um all right. Enrique, what about you? What was what was your video core video game memory, your earliest one?
2: I think uh it was in an arcade. Mm-hmm. Uh I I think I, if I remember correctly, I play Cabal, you Mm -hmm. know, the game Cabal, and I ask my parents for infinite coins (laughs) and they say, oh, this is going to be a problem in the future.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, Children don't usually need many reasons to ask their parents for infinite coins. So (laughs) it's it's terrifying (laughs) when they find a really legitimate one like the arcade. Um, amazing. And so do you remember, were you like, uh, was there video games in the home a thing? Did you, were you a PC? Did you have a PC in the home or were you playing on the consoles or did it become a bit of part of your life?
2: I have a, eight bit uh, uh, computer uh-huh. that was a uh, terrible, I think. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I play in my uh, father's computer for, from his work uh-huh. and not many games worked there but you know i could play prince of persia or many mansion
4: yeah yeah and
2: it was amazing <laughs> but yeah I I, I I i was more, more a, a pc gamer uh, uh, console consoles are, were very expensive here mm. and the games were incredibly expensive for 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 for, for we to 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 buy that yeah so it was too much
1: yeah, I was the same. My parents were like, I had to buy mine from like a local secondhand store. I had my like face pressed up against the glass seeing what the new games that people had traded in were. My parents would never buy me like a full priced video game when I was a kid. So I, I totally, totally relate <laughs> to that. So um, David, let's go back to you. So how did that experience then sort of translate into video games? Is the Game Kitchen your first video game gig? Were you doing things in video games before that? How did how that dot from... You know david won, and his brand new playstation 2 to your first job in games sort of go about well it had i think it was like 10 years after
3: mm. i got my ps2 until i yeah. got to to uh, video games development because mm-hmm. i was a, a programmer i've been working as a programmer since i was 22 23 years old i think oh wow uh, so i spent 10 years on a, a
1: consultant mm-hmm. uh, company.
3: Yeah, wow. Turns out that Enrique was working in
1: there as well.
3: <laughs> yeah. um, Did you know
1: each other at the time you met? Was it a small no. enough? Co-
3: no, just one no, of those it's, big consultancy companies. It's, in- it's a huge. It's one of right. the biggest companies in, here in the in the south of Spain. Right. Okay. Turns out that that uh, Mauricio, the CEO of The Kitchen, was in there as well.
1: <laughs> wow! Amazing. Incredible. Uh,
3: yeah. There are a lot of people who came yeah. out of that company uh, yeah. by that time. Yeah. So I spent like 10 years in there. Um, when I dropped out, I became a freelancer, mm-hmm. first doing uh, mobile phone uh, mm-hmm. uh, applications for for, for Android.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, but one day I saw something that triggered me the interest for developing video games, and that was uh, uh, Marcus Parson Notch yeah creator from minecraft mm-hmm. uh programming during a uh, game jam uh Ludum there
4: yeah
3: a game from scratch yeah. in Java, and i saw that and i thought well he's he's a really good programmer he's uh, a 10x as we say <laughs> um and he did this during the weekend oh okay i cannot do that during the weekend but maybe you can do something uh, yeah, maybe in a
5: week, <laughs> week or
3: in a month, or, or, yeah. a month, or, or two months, or, I don't know. Whatever, yeah. but something that seems cool, and that triggered my interest in in, in programming video games. So mm-hmm. I started installing Unity and playing with it. Uh, well, one thing led to another,
1: uh, here I am. <laughs> Amazing! Incredible. And so, what about you, Enrique? Now, well, you know, David sort of given us one little spoiler. You obviously worked at this consultancy firm as well, but how did how did that kid playing Manic Mansion end up finding his way into video games?
2: I remember being desperate to to be able to create things, <laughs> and I'm not a programmer or <laughs> whatsoever, so mm-hmm. I use uh, these uh, editors to make yep. things. And one of the the things were uh, small text horror adventures yeah very basic stuff mm-hmm. but i could could be able to to express you know m- myself and, and be able to, to do something mm-hmm. and also i think i use uh, this rpg makers <laughs> whatever <laughs> things yeah, to, to be yeah. able to to control a character and interact with uh, with the screen and, and stuff yeah, I was uh, desperate to to do something.
1: Yeah, to just take anything that you could to like make yes. a game, put a game together. Right, I remember yeah. playing. I, I again, I wasn't like I didn't play much PC games. I was like a console gamer. But the one thing that I did get um, is. I, I had Age of Empires on PC and that had like a little map editor. And that was really oh, yeah, the yeah, only yeah. glimpse as a kid that I got for, you know, creating these little scripted campaigns or maps. And I just spent hours in it. I loved it. It's funny how, um, you know, back in those days, any sort of glimpse at that, those creation tools, they're everywhere now, obviously, right? But it was amazing. So you took them, I imagine you're making games in um, Game Maker. Did you, did you do any game making commercially before the Game Kitchen or anything? No, no. No? No. Straight into it, yeah. Okay, well, let's let's get straight onto the game kitchen. So, I think if I'm right, game kitchen was founded in 2010.
2: Yes, correctly.
1: Tell me the story. How did how did it how did it come about?
2: Uh, we were a bunch of <laughs> nerds. <laughs> um, we uh, Mauricio started a group. Yeah. To make uh, these um, before video games, they make these. Um, It's called demo scene. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a uh, clip videos made with uh, software Mm -hmm. Uh, in real time. It's a kind of uh, non-interactive visual uh, thing. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to to, to explain. Yeah, and they started to to win awards. Yeah, in Spain. So they thought, hey, let's do. this in a in a in a whole new level mm-hmm. why don't we start make video games yeah and see what we can do and you know that uh group were very uh unstable you know mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people leave a lot a lot of people came in what i was one of the the ones that came in mm-hmm. and we were learning and we so it was, we were trying to to find out how to make uh, video games in in that time. <laughs> there were not many engines, you know. There were many information about it. Yeah. So we start from the very bottom, mm. and we started to win small awards until we won the the third prize in a Microsoft International. A game contest, contest wow
1: was that like the old xna awards that used yes to exactly yeah, the dream incredible. bill play yeah yeah
2: yeah we won the surprise in 2009
4: yeah
2: uh, and we uh, thought about creating a company and uh, start making video games mm-hmm. for for other people you know for uh like, like work yeah. for hire stuff yeah so we yeah. started to ha- having a very low salary and very <laughs> non- <laughs> non-interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, it's all hard the time. To, it's hard to keep the margins high, let alone pay yourselves on that on the service work. Sometimes, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but but we were very happy at that time. We were yeah, very yeah, naive. Awesome. We were very, I don't know, naive. I think that that's yeah, the. <laughs> <true. laughs> but they were ha- happy times anyway.
1: Yeah, so David, you were you're at the game kitchen around this time as well. I I imagine.
3: No, uh, no, I wasn't. I no. was by that time. I was a freelancer. I was yeah, a freelancer indeed. I was since twenty ten to right. twenty fifteen, and by that time, I I was teaching at a mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. game development. I didn't join the Game Kitchen until 10 days before the release of Blasphemous 2.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. There
3: you go. So I always tell the same joke. I joined for the glory, but not for the work.
1: <laughs> I love it because it's kind of like the opposite of the Blasphemous 2, like whole flagellant, you know, yeah. <laughs> you make your way through, just come along at the end. You can, but we I, had a,
2: a nice salary. <laughs> yeah, not that, not I'm sorry. That, the one, I, I was the one. waiting
3: for the question. Yeah. <laughs>
1: clever man. Clever man. I,
3: I already knew them uh, since I, I think I met them in 2014 yeah. during right. an event here in Barcelona called Game yeah. Lab, in which I yes. met Carlos Viola, the, mm-hmm. the, the soundtrack composer, yep. and Mateo, who is no longer here at the Game Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew them for The Last Door. Which is the game that you can see yes, behind the tunic box? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right. There. Which was your interactive, um, the Game Kitchen's interactive sort of like point-and-click horror pixel game, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Fantastic. So I already knew them. Um, I always said, "This is well." This is me being. Uh, I always said that the only thing that I, would take me from teaching would be yeah. to join joining the game kitchen. So <laughs> some time before the release of Blasphemous, uh, Mauricio came to talk to me, um, mm-hmm. proposed me to, to join the team. Amazing and I well. was really glad to join. Incredible.
1: And so someone had obviously told them that you said that about leaving teaching, <laughs> that you would join if they, if they came and approached you. So you were saying, did you join just before the release of Blasphemous 1 or Blasphemous 2? Blasphemous 1. Yeah, cool, amazing. Um, so, all right, so Enrique, let's go back to you for a second. Tell me about did you have a plan in place for sort of, um, you know, I've spoken to someone before on the podcast who is doing the the work for hire stuff, and he he described it as an escape velocity. You know, like how are we going to get that that big job or that opportunity to work on our own things? Did you have a plan set up? Did was there always the goal of making your own game? Um, were you trying to amass enough? cash or what was the plan uh,
2: in my heart <laughs> we were <laughs> i wanted to make our, my or our own thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was uh, very difficult to think of because yeah. in those those moments we needed to to buy to pay the rent and yeah. to learn and and it was uh, like out of the question to start uh, a game and have the, the and take that risk because we thought it could uh, put the company at yeah at, at a very high risk. Mm-hmm. But ev- eventually, the um, working for to, to make video games for other people it didn't work at yeah. all. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we started to think about making this uh, this game, The Last Door, mm-hmm. as a last resource like yeah if the company is going to fail let it let uh, it fail but making the thing that we wanted to make
1: yeah that's it let it fail because of your game not because of someone else's right
2: <laughs> yeah so it's, it was kind of it was very risky because uh, mm-hmm. we didn't have uh, any the the team had to leave mm-hmm. eventually a lot of people from the team because we didn't have a as I said, a nice salary at all. Yep. We were struggling uh, a lot in those mm-hmm. times, so yeah. we we make the last door as a last uh, chance. Yeah, and we um, decided to make the a very small thing, a very concealed thing, mm-hmm. um, and make a, something that, that um, uh you know uh, make our passion to. How you say to shine to, to grow to grow to mm-hmm. as, as you you say you, you put in a in a, <laughs> in a fireplace you put wood in there yeah you
1: know? yeah exactly so to restart everything right to give you a new opportunity
2: yeah so we um, make th- this game was the the first uh, game that we were the we did with uh as a company not mm-hmm. as a amateur uh, group
5: yeah.
2: So um eventually, this uh, game it was a you know an adventure game, point and click. So it's not very um, commercially uh, wise. I yeah. don't know How you say yeah. that? Not yeah, wise. commercially,
1: commercially wise makes sense. Yeah, definitely,
2: you can say that. <laughs> 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 but it was the minimum thing we can do with our, our passion. Yeah. In in.
1: So let's, um, let's, it's, cause that sounds like such a, you know, I'm sure there are so many people out there, probably folks listening right now who've been in that position, either at a company or with their own studio. And so did you, when you, when you realize that, okay, we've only got so much money in the bank, we've only got so much time left were there sort of, with their layoffs and people having to leave ahead of even just getting a chance to make something um, cause obviously that's a really hard environment to then go and be creative in as well. You know, once you're a bunch of your colleagues and have left, or was it more so that there was the risk of losing everyone if you, if you didn't take this chance.
2: Um, we already lost almost the whole group. We yeah. only were, I think four people. Wow. And so how many
1: were you Five. before, before then?
2: uh not many more maybe seven nine yeah so, right but
1: that's but when you're that small that's half of your team that's still <laughs> that's
2: still a lot that's meaningful and okay, we didn't so have you... any sorry um artists uh we didn't have um, designers so we had right. to, to um, become an artist and become an animator and become a designer and writer yeah yeah and uh with the help of the programmers Yep. And the and the producer, we could do something, but we we didn't have for, for years. We didn't have any salary. So, wow, we have a very low salary, and yep. we uh, went to no salary at all for <laughs> some time. Yeah. So the survivors were only four or five.
4: Yeah.
2: And some people that came in and and leave immediately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we. Um, had the opportunity to work with a publisher because the the game was a small success in a tiny niche yeah, of right. players. Yeah. So we have this thing that you say, oh, we have a we have this um, the spark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have the a path. Mm-hmm. And what we didn't have any money in the bank <laughs> at all. <laughs> it was a very terrible time. Yeah. And, uh, and how long? End. How long
1: did you work on the? How long did these four or five people actually work on the Last Door to get it to get it out? Do you remember how long that was?
2: Um, maybe two years or something. Wow. Uh, at the Last Door was making made by episodes. Yeah. So we okay. uh, released one episode, mm-hmm. and we uh, could um, sell not sell It was like a like a crowdfunding episode. A yep. uh, business model yeah, right. that didn't work very well, but <laughs> it keep us to maybe to have one breakfast every yeah. day.
1: <laughs> Just at least put some oxygen in the tank. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We, we our family helped us in these, uh, crazy, <laughs> crazy uh, times, crazy times. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, at least you've, I'm sure you got the money now to pay them, pay them back.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so let's um okay, so you go from the last door, it's not it's not com- really commercially successful, um only in a small niche, but you get a publisher on board. You're even then you're sort of as you're saying you're your model, your commercialization model for the game is then also maybe not commercially wise or too successful. How then do you get to a game like even blasphemous one, how do you how do you start? Surely you didn't just have really bad breakfasts and, and live on no salary <laughs> for another two or three years, right? Like, what was that? What was that moment for blasphemous one where it became possible?
2: We were three, <laughs> and then we were three. Right. So yeah, you'd
1: lost another twenty five percent of yes. the team. Yeah.
2: And uh, we thought, how if uh, w- what about making a Kickstarter? and just put everything we have on mm-hmm. that and let's see what happened and yeah. the kickstarter uh, was uh, being very well was very interesting yeah. and some people came in came in when mm-hmm. we show the stuff we we've got in that mm-hmm. time and the the team grew a little yeah uh, we uh, published the last door on steam uh, with the help with this publisher, so mm-hmm. that has helped us to raise a little bit of money mm-hmm. to be able to pay concept artists and animator and uh, and create a, a small group up with some salary mm-hmm. and with the promise that we are going where we're we're going to make a a nice project for Kickstarter. Right and kickstarter save our our team so am i
1: right in understanding that you did you go to kickstarter first and it didn't really work out and you went back and tried a second time or did you just show people your plan for kickstarter but it wasn't quite it wasn't quite ready yet
2: for for the last door, we use crowdfunding, but not Kickstarter. Yeah, okay. we use like a, a custom website and. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. I'm, thing. I'm yep. praying God to t- <laughs> <laughs> They came. Yeah,
1: um, but for blasphemous, did you just take? Did you have like a plan for Kickstarter, and then you got the publisher on board to help, or did you just go straight out straight out the door? Um,
2: when we um, uh, published the. The trailer on Kickstarter. When we yep. publish the the campaign site, yeah, we have uh, a call from from some publishers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So wh- they help in the uh, yeah, it, giving us a, a a small finance. How you say? Uh, yes, yeah, f- funding. Funding for to be able to to, to finish the game and, and yeah, we have a, a nice uh, relationship. That yep. time the publisher helped us a lot. Yeah. Yeah, nice. we're very grateful for the community to help us uh, to to be able to to make uh, Blasphemous a, a reality. Yeah, I because know it you was, had what, it was, uh, it was like
1: a $50,000 goal and you got more than 300000 or something like that. Yeah, so, so we're and, very grateful. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. It's an amazing response. It's a Kickstarter staff pick and everything. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And this was also, I mean, like, you know, Kickstarter had kind of quietened down around this time as well. Like there wasn't many Kickstarters doing too well. You know, the Kickstarter bubble had burst, you know, you could say. Um, you know, all the big crazy days of our, you know, our Kickstarter or Double Fine or these other ones. And so to still do a Kickstarter and, you know, and to have it do so well is really quite an achievement. Yeah. What do you think it was that people responded to so well with the Kickstarter, Enrique? What What do you think made it successful?
2: Uh, good question. Uh, I think the um, the art and the Mm, the atmosphere, the, mm-hmm. the weirdness of the main character and, and the bosses, <laughs> and, and this uh, the, this trailer we did with the giant baby mm-hmm. ripping off the, pen, the the player, and <laughs> it was very how you say all in like a bloody, yeah, yeah. gory, over the top, over the top, yeah, and <laughs> and also we gave this game our a lot of our culture elements yes. to make it uh, pop out from from other dark fantasy games.
1: Mm. So, very Go important for question for you, David. Did you back the Kickstarter? I did. I did. <laughs> good. Good. Not, not, not only
3: because not only because well, we were already friends and yeah. I knew them and I knew that we were going to 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 be making this this game, but also as Enrique said, it was so shocking um, mm. seeing this trailer. Which prostrates all these elements from our culture and yeah. our city, a lot of uh, references that you could instantly recognize as someone who lives here in Spain yeah. or, or in Seville.
1: I was um, going to say, particularly in the south of Spain as well, right? Yeah, I, yeah, it was.
3: I was like, I remember that when I saw the, the baby ripping the player which became a huge problem for the designers to decide how do we, how do we kill a baby in a video game?
1: (laughs) I I remember thinking some of the questions you only ask yourself in the video games industry, you know, it's like (laughs) no one goes to work and says, how are we going to kill the baby? You know, it's like, because they already had
3: that, uh, there in the trailer so it, it yeah. wasn't something that and it had this huge impact because it was the ending thing of the trailer um so they they, they couldn't uh remove yeah, it uh because... i was i was truly amazed by the idea by the by the game itself by the the the, the, the um how do you say this um
2: the setting the atmosphere.
3: How how well implemented this was into a bit like game. The, without, the execution. Yeah, yeah thank you. This, the execution without being grotesque or just just for 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 being grotesque, but with yeah. uh, meaning a real meaning.
1: Yeah, it so, doesn't. That's something that is amazing about blasphemous. Is it doesn't actually feel gratuitous at any at any point in time. So maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. But I'm actually quite interested to hear a little bit because, as you said, David, like. The, and a lot of people may not know this but I know you um, both of you have sort of spoken about this extensively in different interviews and things The game is heavily heavily inspired by elements of Spanish culture especially like religious um, traditions and art and dress and everything like Holy Week in Spain and I'm, I'm getting this correct am I am I not? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah totally. so totally. when did so tell me tell me a little bit about that that seed that seed of inspiration and, and how, it, how it struck you Enrique
2: when we started to make uh, this uh, the 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 first mockups of, of the game the, we wanted to start from the art because there were no designers in the team at that time mm-hmm. um so i had to to learn how to make pixel art from the last door that was very different <laughs> and but to to learn the the necessary to make uh, nice mockups mm-hmm. to to visualize the the game and to communicate the rest of the the team, uh, the vision. Mm-hmm. And when I was making these uh, mockups, I realized that I were being uh, using a lot of cliches uh, because it was the first thing that came up, came in my mind. Yeah. So how a very small team could, or or a very very small project could pop up from. The thousand, a million yeah. games that. How do you stand is, uh, out when everything's so exactly, saturated, right? Exactly. How could we add to this game? So I, th- uh, we realized that uh, we have uh, in the south of Spain, of Spain, this uh, religious culture that is very macabre. How you say that? Image? macabre Macab. Mm-hmm. So instead of making the game just gore, gory mm-hmm. or. Bloody, mm-hmm. how how, how uh, about if we use uh, this uh, macabre um, atmosphere that we have in, in our churches and our paintings <laughs> and our our city is everywhere.
1: Yeah, that Catholic Gothic like architecture and everything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we started to to put these uh, elements uh, together and and. And uh, twist them even more mm-hmm. to be able to to, to do uh, to to have something special. So yeah, from all of that, <laughs> blasphemous is coming from.
1: Hell yeah, that's awesome. And you, as you said, David, you immediately recognized it as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, also because well, I I really had an idea about what the game was going to be about because Mm. Mauricio pitched me the game in one of the events and I remember that he he told me hey, do you know how these uh, Japanese games which are really really uh, amazing for us because they tell us about the culture the Japanese culture and we are so amazed by them uh, we want to do kind of the same but with the Spanish culture so people around the world can get interested in our culture and the different aspects uh of of these elements and we would try to put those in a game yeah so 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 people can get curious about those things and wonder uh about the the places and the monuments and the stories Mm. that we talk about in the game and it turned to work really well because people are always discovering things that we uh tell about through the game uh, it's a, a really nice thing to 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 see people investigating, people wondering about the different elements that they see in the game.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely incredible, and I think you know that that cut through and that ability to stand out as well that you were talking about, Enrique, is just it's it's really there in Blasphemous. But going so specifically into like not only just like Spanish culture, but like specifically like Catholic. South of Spain, like, you know, so like you say, Seville almost, you know, entirely is, is pretty, pretty amazing at how, just how different. So, cause re- video games, you know, religious iconography is not new to video games, you know, it's almost been done to death around the place, but in blasphemous, it really is, really is quite unique, you know, in regards to the visuals and the setting and everything. David, do you, like you said, you, you've, um, You've noticed that how people in various different cultures are learning about Spain's culture, but how about your Spanish friends like people in Spain and your fans in particularly the south of Spain where a lot of these you know um traditions and everything are still practiced today, like Holy Week have you seen a big reaction from your Spanish fans
3: Well absolutely I think uh Spain as well mm-hmm. as in uh, south south america yeah are the are the players that recognize most of the elements Yes. Uh, with the Blasphemous 2 trailer, there was this moment in which for a couple of seconds, uh, Mm -hmm. a cathedral is shown Mm -hmm. in the background of one of the cats. Um, People started screaming, writing in in uppercase (laughs) on the chat, oh, that's Cadiz, that's Cadiz Cathedral. I live in there. I recognize that. Hey, Amazing. do you remember that we took a photo in there and posting the <laughs> photos in front of the casino? <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, okay. um, so there are. Yeah. So there are people in here, of course, recognize uh, the different elements in the game. Um, it, 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 it kind of makes it more. Um, how do you say this? Uh, people, people is more willing to share the game if they recognize something yeah Um, Yeah, yeah.
1: they see a part of themselves in it it may be their gender it may be their degree of ability or disability but another way is their culture and even like things from their home there's a show (laughs) there's a show based in melbourne that's on netflix i'm not even sure if they show it in other places around the world it's called um i think it's called love me and it's just like a drama you know like this woman and her family and stuff but it's not the greatest show in the world because it's based in Melbourne. Like my partner and I, really love it. It's so good. Like, you're like, oh, wow, look at that. You know, we live in such a beautiful city, don't we? It's really good. And it's like totally just got me because it's based in Melbourne. It is. It does create this connection, this unique connection. It's interesting to hear you talking about people even sharing sharing the game more because of it. It's, it's absolutely astounding. And also to that note, is it both Blasphemous 1 and Blasphemous 2 that are also... Um, in like Castilian Spanish, did you you got them rec- voice recorded in in both? Am I right?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. With and a, that Would have had a huge impact too, I imagine.
2: With an old Dutch, you know, like a, sometimes Carter speak in an older way.
1: Oh right! Wow. Uh,
2: with mm-hmm. a very uh, some some words that are um, not used, no longer
1: use. Yeah, like a forgotten dialect of Spanish. Yes amazing incredible we, i think i we, should i should play I, I can't believe i haven't played the game with that turned on it's like when ghost of tsushima you know was released with japanese as one of the languages i think i'm gonna go into the settings and I'm, turn it on when i get off <laughs> the call
3: it's awesome also, we try to represent a uh, very different accent from not only right. spain but uh, also from from uh we have. We can already say that uh, because it's mm. public already. We have uh, people from from Mexico. Yeah, right. Dubbing some of the characters uh, yes. because we love uh, the community in there, and they were really eager to have <laughs> more. Diff-
2: he yeah. is the the voice actor of yeah. uh, Homer Simpson in Latin America.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can. See, I can see our producer in chat here as well. Is
2: is, is, happy,
1: is happy that we're representing Mexico too? Yeah, it's awesome. It's so so good. Um, just getting that represent, and of course, again, from an a, like a like you've picked this region that isn't typically like typically represented in these ways. So absolutely awesome. Okay, so you you um you're making blasphemous one. Tell me a little bit about the the development enrique and i mean because you're also are we seeing a, are we seeing a straight progression like direct progression of like your talents in the art style as well if you're if you're the guy that has to like learn the pixel art and everything from the last door to blasphemous one is that how much your your personal art skills improved as well uh, yeah yeah totally <laughs> That's pretty amazing, dude. That's a pretty pretty incredible progression. So firstly, congrats on that. From the desperation, you can do many things.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so if you like right, drama, yeah.
1: I can tell you drama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when the survival instincts kick in, yeah, much you're like the woman lifting the car off her child. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit about, you know, because I'm really keen to get onto Blasphemous 2 at some point, obviously, as well, and to hear about David's, you know, entry into the team at that point. Point to, um, but tell me a little bit about Blasphemous One, and you know things that you remember standing out from the development of it.
2: Um, let's say uh, we started making this game from the art, not from designer, from design. From yeah, wow. Design. So we have to when we have uh, the art we wanted to make mm-hmm. uh, with this element and with uh, this atmosphere, this uh, setting, all of this. We had to to think about how this game is going to be played. You know, yeah. how this game is going to feel in your hands, in the mm-hmm. controller. Uh, we struggled for a long time trying to find out how players are going to to um, to move this character. How, how yeah. is the combat is going to be? How the enemies are going to work?
1: Were there any sort of crazy wild ideas that you looking back now, you can just, you can't even imagine the game being like that. Like, was it going to be like a, you know, a, a point and click shooter or something at some point? <laughs> or... <laughs> uh,
2: not really, not, not yeah. that crazy. It but sort of but...
1: came together pretty, it like, it was an easy one. Once you had the art and everything, it sort of made sense what it was meant to be.
2: Yeah, well, it was easier, it was easier. Yeah. But, uh, even, even though we have the this uh, mockup with the character, the, the size of the character and the enemies, we had to, to find out how the, the game was going to, to be played. Um, and we struggled for, for a long time uh, mm-hmm. trying to make how the combat is going to be placed, like yeah. uh, in small arenas, or it's going to be a linear game, like an arcade game,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and eventually we uh, find out that making a vetri um was uh, the right choice for revisiting areas to yeah, right. people to see again these elements <laughs> from this from Seville and from the south of Spain and stuff yeah and make the the world of the game yours you know mm-hmm. as you yeah. play it you con- conquest conquests mm-hmm. the um, the map so Making a sort of metroidvania was the the right choice, but it it came very slowly. These ideas, we started to to prototype the combat and the platforming and, and stuff. uh, uh yeah, uh, very uh, slow slow cook. How you say? Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, you slow uh, cooked it. It was a it was a slow burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So so the art came came first with a very strong. Um, how you say? Concept. Uh, uh, Comset, and um, we were uh, very confident about the art. So we started to to think more about design because the art was very was clear enough for yeah. us. Yeah,
1: you're like problem solved for now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got enough figured out. Let's move our attention to design. Yes. Yeah. yeah and so was that just i imagine on such a small team you work so cooperatively naturally anyway so you say that you're you're the designer on blasphemous but did you have anyone helping out in a big way was it kind of a team effort or were you sort of like other people were busy getting other parts of the game going you were sort of locked in a room
2: yeah as we were were a very small team in that moment we uh, every team member uh had to make all the all the thing that they they can so yeah as I was, I was uh, the writer and the art director and stuff, mm-hmm. I had mm, had the help of uh, the the first designer that came in the studio. That was uh, Enrique Collinet. Was mm-hmm. the first design proper designer we had right, <laughs> in, and in that moment. So, so I could uh, work with him a lot. Fantastic. And uh, He's a, a more experienced level designer. Mm-hmm. So. Together, we find out uh, a lot of the the stuff. And also, we have the help of one of the programmers, Mm -hmm. Paco, that uh, is very, uh, how you say, skillful?
1: uh, Yeah, very skilled.
2: In in different things. Yeah, a bit of a a generalist. Yeah, Yeah. so he helped a lot uh, designing the first uh, bosses Hmm. and uh, the combat and, and yeah. It was awesome. a very a work, a, a team, work.
1: That's awesome! Shout out to Parco for the boss fights in Blasphemous One. It's awesome. It's a big part of the game. That's really cool. That's that's great. And so, okay. how how long was the development of Blasphemous One? How long were you you spending on this on this
2: title? My my um, memories of the of times <laughs> <laughs> right now at this point is very confusing yeah, yeah. I think uh, if David can correct me, <laughs> uh, two years and a half, maybe? Yep. Yeah. David, uh, do think you, re- it, you remember something?
3: I think it was, yes, because I think it was like a year and a half, maybe a little more since the end of the Kickstarter campaign to mm. the release of the game.
1: Yeah, great. Okay. And and so, so, David, what kind of, the game was basically, Blasphemous 1 was almost finished when you you came in. Were you, and I know you mentioned you were doing programming in your earlier days. Did you come on as a producer or as a programmer? Are you doing? Were you doing sort of both roles?
3: No, I I, I joined as a programmer.
5: Mm-hmm. In
3: fact, uh, my role was going to be the lead programmer because as the team started to grow, yeah. um, there was this need for 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 leads on the different departments. So yes, if you asked yeah. me to... To become the lead programmer for, for the team. Yeah. Uh,
1: and how big was the team at this point in time when you when I, you joined?
3: I think that I was the employee number eleven.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cool. Not, right. not
3: counting with not counting, you know, freelancers.
1: Yeah, um, of course. But well, it sounds it was like our, on Blasphemous One, the Kickstarter, and some funding from the publisher, it also helped you to scale back up a little bit too. Uh,
3: a little bit. I, yeah. Yes. I can't tell you the exact details of, of course, yep. you know, the numbers, uh, mm-hmm. but yes, uh, the the things started to grow. I know that they 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 were having kind of some struggles. Yeah. <laughs> So, no. so
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's video games. It's bound. It's bound to happen. You've been in survival yeah. mode for so long already. So yes. tell me your impression of the game when you came in. So obviously you've seen it from the outside, David, but then coming in and seeing the game and everything and what you're, you know, sort of so close to launch. Um, what, what were your impressions?
3: I was amazed of <laughs> how how much they made with so little resources.
5: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's funny Enrique, you said that like you figured out the art style and you know that's a, that's not an issue. Um we'll think about that later, but I imagine the amount of art that you had to make with so few people must have been a daunting concept at some point, right? Did it did you did it dawn on you at some point how big the game was or did you know from the start have a very good idea of how big you wanted the game to be?
2: No, it came slowly, um, as we had the money to hire more people, yeah, uh, we could uh, grew, grow the, the team a little. And, and I stopped uh, making art, so yeah. the art was made by proper artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, okay. we had the, also the opportunity to hire more designers and yeah. um, p- people that helped me to um, uh, decorate, how you say, decorate the levels. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you make the the geometry, and you start to make the sprites, and and we yeah, have the, the
1: environment uh, art.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amazing. And so, tell me now about we we've um we've made the game. David's on the team. You're heading towards launch. You have a publisher on board helping you out. Um. What, what, was the, what was the feeling like when it, when it landed? And did you have any idea how good the response was going to be to the game, like the kind of success that you're about to walk into?
2: I was terrified, <laughs> 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 to be honest. Uh, yeah, the, we were kind of confused. We, as we you, we are making this game for a long time, yeah, you mm-hmm. start to, to to lose your confidence a lot. Mm-hmm. You start to to lose to lose your focus yeah and the doubt the doubts start to come in mm-hmm. uh non-stop yep. so as the moment you re- you release the game you don't know what you have done <laughs> <at all>. <laughs> <laughs> and you say okay le- let's let's wait to see what happened. yeah but that is a, a common common se- a feeling in game development when yeah. you are very focused for a long time you start to lose that uh, your own criteria, you 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 lose it, you know. Yeah. You, you, yeah of course. You don't know a- anymore if you are doing something good or bad, and eventually the reaction was very good, and mm-hmm. um, we could also uh, fix things in the first uh, updates of the game. Yeah. To be able to you know, to to fix a lot of uh, uh, problems that. Uh, come from the come up in the beginning yeah yeah uh, because we didn't have the enough resources to to make sure that the game was uh, uh, super great and and uh, uh free of bugs
1: yeah, I think that's a that's a big thing that I, I think I see a lot of folks, even now when people know about small indie teams and how small some of the teams are, like you said, David, you know, 11 or 12 people or something before the game launches, you know, around 10 folks to get this game out the door. People think about that in regards to maybe the scale or the size of the game, but there is so much more that, you know, small indie teams aren't able to do. And one of those things is, you know, ensure that, like the game is free of bugs in like this huge, you know, Metroidvania or that it runs on all of these weird combinations of PCs that people have, or, you know, ensuring that yeah. the Steam page is there. Were there, but you said that once you got it out there, that you quickly followed up with some patches and things like that, because you did support the game with free DLC and stuff like that after launch, right?
2: Yes. Um, okay. We wanted to also to be able to to put all the ideas that we couldn't put in the game uh, for lunch, yeah, and we had this opportunity to learn a lot from the the first version of the game, mm-hmm. and and put uh, everything uh, that, that we missed uh, yep. uh, in the game, and also it's like a, a thanks for how you say uh, a th- to to thanks to thank the community yeah. to say hey you help us a lot to. Releasing the game to make this game a, a reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, here you, you have, have uh, yeah. three <laughs> free DLCs and um, our um, forever. Thank you.
1: That's amazing. And so, David, when did that plan for the for the free DLC and the the thank you to the community come up? Do you remember that that moment where you decided all of you to be like, let's make let's make this huge amount of free content for the community? Or did it kind of just happen naturally? Uh,
3: I I think it was all already part of the plan. Yeah. So if the game yeah. turned out uh, great as it did, mm-hmm. there was this. There were going to be these free DLCs, which included a lot of things that were promised during the Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaign that couldn't make yep. it to the release of the game. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the, the, the amount of money that you raise for the campaign for Kickstarter might seem like a lot of money, but mm-hmm. it really isn't enough to no. produce no. A, a, a huge game. <laughs> even with a small team, the burn ratio of the money is incredibly high. Yeah. So uh, some people ask, hey, why, did you, why didn't you add all this content for the release of the game? Mm-hmm. Because even with 10 people. There's not enough resources to make yeah, uh, that happen. So yeah, the free DLCs were a way to, to to you know to comply with yeah. those promises uh, with the desire of the team of making the game that. Uh, we're really, and now I'm including myself because I was already
5: there. Yeah, you're uh, a backup,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah really so it, was, it was for you, yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean that I was already uh, in the team, so yeah, uh, I, I was already working on the three DLCs.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, congratulations, Blasphemous One. was obviously such a success. And after you've been in survival mode for so long, I can imagine it must have been, in what in some parts a relief, but in some parts like you don't know whether to trust if it's reality or not. I'm sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but let's talk about because I know you know I've I've read in a, a couple of interviews that the moment of actually deciding whether to even do a sequel or not was was something. So maybe Enrique, tell us tell us a little bit a little bit about that. The decision to even do Blasphemous Two.
2: Um. Uh there was, um, how you say this, um, at a moment mm-hmm. uh, when we didn't know what to do next. Yeah. We really didn't know what to do. Uh, a sequel apparently was a nice idea, but after you release the game, you have uh, this part of you that w- wants to make a sequel. Mm-hmm. Because you have learned a lot and you know uh, the next step, how the next step could be. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, the team uh, has been working for a long time in this IP, so will, uh, the, the the team don't know yet what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have this opportunity f- that came from the came from the publisher mm-hmm. that hey, we have uh, this IP. Uh, you have to to do, to do this again. Uh, this IP is is going to work a lot. Yeah. Um. Le, le, let's uh, back to work. Uh, let's do it together. Um, the publisher gave us uh, the last how you say the push push yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, also emotionally and psychologically you know. Yeah, the, uh, right. And we also have a lot of things that. Uh, uh, elements f- also from the, this uh, south of Spain and, and this idea for bosses and a lot of ideas were in, you know, in the area, in, in our minds mm-hmm. and we decided to make uh, the sequel and we'll be able to put this idea mm-hmm. ideas that were very nice, very, how you say, very, they have a lot of potential
1: yes right okay so there was still even after blasphemous one and how big the first game was that you hadn't you hadn't exhausted all of the possibilities and the potential of like this this subject matter exactly
2: yeah
1: mm, amazing so we mm.
2: and we have the opportunity to improve the game in terms of design and progression yeah um uh, yeah a, a lot of stuff that, that we learn how to mm-hmm. make the game even better the, the control mm-hmm. uh we wanted to make a smoother smoother controls and i uh, you know a lot of stuff that <laughs> yeah that
1: we... a lot of improvements possible
2: yeah and on, on
1: that david one that i heard about is um that you rebuilt the game from scratch yeah. blasphemous 2 which is a huge huge decision because i know for example <laughs> and, and and amazing that your publisher wasn't terrified hearing that or they might have been right because um yeah. I know that obviously, first sequels, you know, the, the follow up to a successful game, one of the main reasons why you do them is because you've already done all the work or whatever. So it took me a little bit through the decision to make, to do such a huge undertaking of rebuilding the game from scratch, all of the code and everything.
3: Well, at the end, uh, it all comes from the from the fact that the game was made with a really tight budget, both yeah. economically and with the amount of people who could work on the game. So mm-hmm. even um, the game, Blasphemy 1 is a great game and it got even better with the DLCs. Yeah. Uh, but this decision was made even before the release of DLC 2 and 3. Uh, Because the decision of um, working on this sequel Mm -hmm. uh, was around the time of the release of the first DLC. If I remember correctly, Enrique, this was in March. I can't remember when Mm. was the release of DLC (laughs) 1.
2: My my memories are, are...
3: blurry Blurry. yeah that's okay but it was (laughs) generally
1: around that time so you hadn't even finished on blasphemous one in in, and you already made the decision in
3: fact one of the things that we discussed uh, because enrique didn't mention but we had a really long meeting at the old office about hey do we want to make this sequel because the publisher proposed this but we have to make this decision as the team as a team Mm -hmm. yeah um one of the things that we had taken into account was the hey, we still need to release DLC 2 and 3. Yeah. Um, oh, these yeah. are the dates that we can uh, work with. And two months later, there was oh, Paco, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the programmer. He yeah. went to Unity, create new project, Blasphemous 2. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: why? Really blasphemous 2, yeah. Yeah, why?
3: Yeah. But, uh, because, as I said, um, there were many, many things that we knew could be improved in, in, the, in the game, not only as a, a, a game, but as a software project. I mean,
5: yeah.
3: it was yeah, barely... Uh, it would be really hard to... nearly impossible, not impossible, but really hard to implement some of the things that we did with Blasphemous 2. Uh, for yes. example, the three weapons or the different kinds of prayers um that would have been a kind of a nightmare to implement yeah. with the with the uh the code base from blasphemous yeah. one mm-hmm. so we had this talk it wasn't really long it was more <laughs> like a, a quick decision hey do you agree that this would be a, a good idea yeah. yeah i totally agree
1: yeah. So it sounded like it was, it was a pretty obvious thing to do. It sounded like the amount of tech debt you were yeah. carrying forward because you had to just, you know, like you say, with so few people rush through getting Blasphemous One, you know, sort of to the, to the finish line to some degree, like that it was almost going to be impossible, as you say, to remake, you know, yeah. make a signal a sequel on that code base. Wow. And Enrique, did it make your life easier? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This, is, th- this is
3: something that we say Sorry, Enrique. This is something that we said, but this is kind of uh, uh, a disclaimer. Um, <laughs> we don't recommend doing this. Yeah.
5: Okay? <laughs> Classic. No, it. It's like, look, one. it worked out nice. well for
1: us and everything, but we don't yeah. recommend other people do it. So tell it's, us, it's that's really, really risky.
3: Yeah, it's really risky. Yeah. Uh, because re- you already have a project that works and you could. You could perfectly, you know, yeah. uh, swap assets and keep on working on the same code base and mm-hmm. and try to 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 make the sequel. But the amount of changes that we wanted uh, design wise Yeah, um,
1: necessitated it.
3: Yeah. Yes, it's it's really good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. but so you feel I you think- were
1: in so it's I think it's really good for our, our developer friends to hear this, especially some of the, you know, the smaller, more indie mm-hmm. ones. Is like the only reason why you're sort of you felt um, that it was a good call for you at the Game Kitchen and for Blasphemous Two is because of the unique situation that you were in and needing to. And so, talking about those design decisions, another thing that I've, 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 you know, I've seen spoken about, uh, Enrique, is that. This one was more about getting back to like a pure Metroidvania as well. Am I, okay. am I right in saying that? So, so what, because I've heard that you say that term, so what does that mean to you? What did, what did that mean, thinking about Blasphemous 1 and making number 2 more, more pure to those Metroidvanias that we all know and love?
2: Uh, yeah, Blasphemous 1 was not a pure Metroidvania. Um, it was more like a mix of genres, kind yeah. of a Metroidvania, yep. optional. Uh, Abilities for the player to reach other areas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some people call it a Souls-like game, yeah. But other people call it a Metroidvania. So um, the community itself decided that this game was a Metroidvania, even though it's not pure. But they put yeah. that in that genre. And we uh, like the idea to make uh, this time uh, more pure Metroidvania as a as a challenge for us. Yeah. It's like uh, we uh, wanted to, to make that this time around mm-hmm. uh, instead of uh, this uh, mix uh, genres <laughs> and stuff. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the whole team wanted to make uh, this game uh, this time up more pure stuff. Um, it's like it feels right in that moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it seemed like the community really enjoyed that element of it, because it does have, like, you know, I can see the Souls-like, you know, sort of reference. It does have some of those elements, but it's, you know, it it is very much very strong in the Metroidvania sense, like even, you know, even number one. And so if, thinking about those Metroidvania elements, something else that I've heard you talk about is the controls of the game too, and, you know, tightening those up. Give us, I think it's always fun when someone goes deep on like a specific thing that they worked for a lot of time on. I remember I spoke to uh, ben Brode, you know, a bit on Marvel Snap about how the hand feels of the hand of cards. What was something that you, that you and maybe a colleague worked for a huge amount of time on to just get to feel right? Do you remember? Does anything come to mind in Blasphemous Two? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, as Blasphemous Blasphemous One was our first platformer, there was mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that we didn't knew that we have had to fix and, and had to design. Mm-hmm. Um, we work uh, using our intuition. And yeah, our yeah of course. But uh, yeah, the community uh, said several times that the controls were not as tight as they wanted to, to be. Mm-hmm. So we uh, fixed a lot of, of these issues for in the DLCs. But we learned uh, a lot uh, on this matter. And we started to analyze uh, many of their games and find out how we could improve our own player controller mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we find out a lot of uh, little things uh that really we didn't know the way that those exist exist <laughs> like
1: little video game development conventions or things like hacks to help you out yeah. right for yeah. example
2: if you uh push the dash button yeah and you are uh, the, the, um, enough height to feel that the player has reached that platform. Yeah. But technically the player is, uh, in the engine is a little bit, uh, down. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. And Just technically the, isn't
1: quite making it technically. Yep. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But if, when you're playing, you feel that uncomfortable. So yes. Right. Okay. You have to, to break that rule. Yeah. And let's just make the player to reach the platform, and, and yeah. let's <laughs> they to, to have fun <laughs> and, and forget about the jump. So yeah. a lot of uh, things uh, here and there are about also about combat, where you are fighting, but uh, an enemy is going to hit you, and you want to press the the parry button mm-hmm. to protect yourself, but the the animation of the of your attack have not finished yet. Mm-hmm. And you press that button, and the player does don't react, and you take the hit, and it's very frustrate- w- frustrating. So uh, you have to know, have to break the animation, the attack animation, mm-hmm. and be able to to trigger the parry animation, <laughs> and yet yeah, to make it feel more comfortable in general, in a lot of aspects, and yeah, our Programmer Paco was very into that uh, during the whole development. So he's in charge of of this. uh, uh All the little sponsor. hacks. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: The whole the whole gameplay uh, experience is something mm-hmm. that has been tuned during the whole development. It's not something that you can say, hey, we spent two months uh, yeah. fine-tuning the yeah. controls of the game. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's something that has been done during the whole process. Um, yeah. I, I, I would dare to say that even a week or a mm-hmm. couple of weeks bef- before the release of the game, you're we still, were- are
2: still tweaking yeah. things.
3: Tweak, yeah, tweaking the, the cancellation window for the different animations. And, wow. Uh,
2: you had to, to notice at first that something is wrong. That's very difficult when you've yeah. yeah. been playing the game for a long time, for mm-hmm. years and every day. So how do you <laughs> f- find out, yeah. you ha- how you, do you notice can you notice that something is wrong in a combat? It's very difficult. Yeah. You have to be very, very how you say sensitive. You have to be very sensitive about it and have to know where the problem is. Not only if something is comfortable or something is unfair, yeah, but you have to know where the problem is and yeah. how to fix that problem if it's fixable.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's such a such a great point that we're so close to the games that we play, uh, sorry, that we make, <laughs> you know, and I guess we're playing them every day. We're talking about them, we're making them, we're playing them, you know, we're, we're writing documents and little manifestos that we give to folks on the team about them in various areas. David, what was one of the ways in which, you know, you and the team made sure that you were able to, you know, have that sort of, that your sense of reality checked and to ensure that the game was coming together, to find those things that Enrique is saying are really, really hard to find. Because now you've got a whole community of players that know this game. Did you do anything like bring in some players yeah. early on to play the game and stuff like that? Yeah, tell me about it.
3: Yes, we had two two playtesting sessions, mm-hmm. which were the first time that someone outside of the studio played the game. Yeah, uh, Some of them we knew in person. Yeah, I, I mean they were close friends uh, mm-hmm. of some people of the studio, um, yeah. but some people were not as close. So, mm-hmm. but uh, we only asked them uh, to be brutally honest about <laughs> the game, um, which is the only reason for for making these playtesting sessions because you want people to be brutally honest about what they are they are playing. I, I, yeah. I don't need someone to say, "Hey, this is great," if it's not yep. um because that's awesome. why i already know or yeah. i already uh, feel as yeah we enrique think said, our own
1: games are awesome right
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we know they could be improved but as enrique said we are kind of blind to mm. all these defects uh, yep. um, and things that could be improved so with the, these two playtesting sessions we found that some of the decisions that we had already made and that we truly really thought that were good for the game, uh, were not good at all. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah.
2: When, when you do the, a PlayStation like that, uh, those players are not developers. So those players can explain in their own words how they feel. Mm. and They can say that the game feels great, but even that, even with that answer, you have to be um how you say it? how you you have to really observe how they play, yes, and find out things that they don't even know the uh, find problems that mm. the players that are testing don't even notice, yeah, so it's, it's a, a classic m- it's a
1: classic thing, right, like listen to what they mean, not to what they say a lot of the time, or you know just sometimes <laughs> yes. you're just watching how they play, yeah.
2: So they say they like it, but how how much? You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah. how can we improve that and in a lot of this, terms? In bosses they and say, and
3: for example, they said, hey, we didn't have any problem traversing the different levels, but we saw uh, one person, for example, trying to grab a wall, you know, to do yeah. a wall climb. Yeah. Where, before, way, way before they, they got that ability. And mm-hmm. they spent like... A whole minute trying to grab into that wall. Yeah. And we uh, were commenting hey, he's trying to climb, but he doesn't mm. have the ability. And he doesn't see this as a problem. Why is this happening? Mm. Why is this happening? Uh, yeah. Why is he? Why he keeps on trying to. Yeah. Uh, Why does
1: he think that these repeated attempts are maybe going to res- result in him being able to wall climb?
3: Is it, is so, it him? Is it us?
1: Uh, <laughs> yes. What's
4: going
1: on? Yet, yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, could be, he, it could be either of those things or a combination of two, right? And he, he
3: didn't even mention that on the feedback, yeah. uh report after the event. Yeah. But as, as we were observing, uh, we knew that that was a problem. Yeah.
2: And you, when when you see players, uh, other players playing your game, you are, you know, uh, paying attention to everything. But when it's not just a playtesting, when you you see a press, uh, the journalist yeah. <laughs> playing yeah. the game, yeah, it's so terrifying. Oh, the sweats, the sweats. Yeah. Cool. You <laughs> yeah. are sweating. You say, oh, yeah. let's let's see if uh, she she or he is having a good time mm-hmm. playing the. And you you pay attention to every move (laughs) they make. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, when they're depressed, it's very terrifying.
1: So when you released the game to the community, obviously to resounding praise from them, um, what were the things that really rose to the top that it seemed resonated with them?
2: I think in general, um, players said, the community said that um, the game felt feels uh, more tight, more responsive, more nice, uh, more nice, more smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, the compass feels uh, better. The platforming also feels much better. <laughs> uh, the game is less. Uh, let's say the this this time the game is more fair. That's an
1: interesting one, more fair because it's, you know, I I understand the concept of it, right? Like when it's a classic thing in game design, when you fail, it should be the game's fault, you know, not your, not your, oh, sorry. It should be your fault, not the game's (laughs) fault, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So tell me what was it from blasphemous one to blasphemous two that you felt was, you know, unfair and you had to, to change to have that, the player feel like it was their, their fault that they were dying. Was that it or were there other elements of fairness?
2: Oh, so for, for, for example, just the, yes, the platforming, when you, yes. you, uh, didn't, you didn't do a right jump and you fall into spikes. spikes and <laughs> this instant death.
1: Right, yeah, the hard fails there. Okay, yeah.
5: It's a
3: combination <laughs> of, of the gameplay. In, in that specific example, it's a yeah. combination of the gameplay controls, which mm. made you fail, the, the for example, grabbing a ladder, Yeah. and then made make you fall in the spikes, which insta-kill you. Yeah. Which sort of... some people found really unfair. Yeah. Some people on the other side love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, there are some complaints, but there's always, it's, it's, it's impossible to make something that uh, makes everyone happy. So there are some people complaining that, hey, the spikes are no, uh, are, yeah. are, are not insta-kill this time. I prefer... Uh, the insta you know, kill for, yeah. for this to be uh, a huge uh,
1: penalty for me yeah yeah some people really like that and that's always something that i think you know if you're supporting the game later you know you can you can add in later on but also it's not it's not necessarily tied to a pillar of the game i imagine too so you giving you know, making those little adjustments around the place, like you say, the little hack to make sure they get onto the ledge properly, and then you know, softening that. I've actually worked on a game before as well, where that was something that we did for the sequel too. Was removed all of the falling to your death situations, so yeah. you could never do it in the game. It was like a soft fail always. Um, it's it. It just has a huge impact. So it's great to hear. Okay, awesome. So let's let's talk a little bit about. You know the game kitchen and blasphemous 2 moving forward do you have any plans that you're you know that you've shared with your community or that you're you're happy to share here about what's what's on the roadmap for blasphemous 2
3: well when we released the game mm-hmm. um, as you know before the release of the game the press review for the game were mm-hmm. really great we were yeah. really happy but we were still terrified because for us, the, the, the real reviewers are players. The players, yeah, yeah, exactly. um, because they are merciless. Uh, if they have to say, <laughs> you know, if, if, they, yeah. if they have to say that the game sucks, they they are going to say it. Uh, yeah. they don't they don't need to be polite about it. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't go to a player's house and say, no, you, uh, you don't understand this because the thing is that <laughs> the game has to, you have to do this and that because yeah. for this reason, no, you no. are, uh, they are, they are alone. Yeah, so I'm pretty, sure you get
1: arrest- I'm pretty sure you'll get arrested if you try and go to a player's house.
3: <laughs> so we were really, really, uh, eager to see the reaction of players and mm. we saw all that a few of the complaints that they had were related to the controls of the game and the maybe some people don't like the style of the cutscenes Mm -hmm. or or they felt that some aspects of the combat were not as tight as they Mm -hmm. would expect um Mm -hmm. so we work on the first patch of the game which was released like two weeks ago just before we got our days off Mm Um, so today we just got back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the time to start thinking <laughs> yeah. about the future of the game. Yeah. So this you're like,
1: ask me have... again next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And so Enrique for you, I mean, you, you know, you spent your time in the last door, obviously very sort of horror driven game. Um, you've now done blasphemous one and blasphemous two. Are you you excited to keep, you know, working in this sort of this space, whether it be blasphemous or horror or, you know, this, or are you, are we going to see like a a cute gardening sim out of you or something next? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it, we're going to get Enrique's cozy game.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm open to new stuff, but yeah, I think I am very comfortable with the horror and and this gory, (laughs) gory thing. (laughs) Uh, I'm very narrative driven yeah things and, and yeah that's a style i feel comfortable with mm-hmm. and when you feel at home uh your your passion can uh goes through you easily you know yeah yeah so yeah
1: well i remember at the start i think i don't even know if we we're recording yet i asked you what kind of books you were reading on your on your holidays? And you said horror.
2: So.
1: <laughs> it checks out, and I'm sure you've got millions of players now that would be happy to hear that as well. So, I think we might wrap it up here. Congratulations to the two of you and the rest of the Game Kitchen on your resounding success, not only with Blasphemous One, but then. Doing the, you know, what is often the impossible, following up with number two and improving upon mm-hmm. the incredible work that you already did with Blasphemous One, um, and also for escaping the jaws of death, like there <laughs> at the start, you know, and being in survival mode for so long, Enrique. I'm really glad to hear oh, yeah. that, you had a, that you had a holiday. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I won't take any more of your time. Have a wonderful day, gentlemen, and thanks for joining us. Thank,
3: thank, thank you, you so. Trent.
1: Great.
0: Thank you for joining us for The Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.